Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Happy Easter, Redemption. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Today is the most amazing, the most wonderful, the most exciting day because today is the day that we remember, that we rejoice, that we reflect, and that we that we celebrate that sin has been defeated, that the grave has been cheated, that Satan has been overcome, that death has been overdone, and our sins are forgiven because Jesus is risen. He is alive. And Amen. And kings and kingdoms it will live and they die. And nations and empires will live and they die. And that philosophies and ideologies will live and they die. And that health and wealth, it will live and it will die. But the man Jesus Christ died so that way we can live. And that's the whole purpose and that's the whole goal of worshiping together on Easter Sunday because Jesus Christ is alive. And right now we gather with some 3 billion people all across the planet who every tribe, every tongue, every nation gather together to worship and to sing and to celebrate and to praise our great Lord, Savior, God, and King because he is risen from the grave. It's the most monumental, it's the most momentous moment in all of human history that we, our lives are divided by the life of Christ, that more songs have been sung to him, more books have been written about him, more paintings have been painted of him, we divide our calendar according to him. B.C., before Christ, A.D. Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord, after his death, because he is alive. And today, today, some of you, you are Christians, that you have put your hope and trust and faith in Jesus and all of his works and all of his accomplishments that he has done for you. You believe that he lived the perfect life, the life that you should have lived, that he died the painful death as the penalty for your sins in your place, that he went to the grave, he resurrected from the grave, giving you this newness of life with hope and grace and mercy and with redemption. And you are a Christian and your hope is found in Jesus, that he rules and he reigns in this kingdom. But I also know that some of you here today, you are not yet Christians, that you are on the fence, that you're from the outside looking in and you're in process or in your progress and you're wondering, what's the big deal? Why is this such good news? And most importantly, you're wondering, is there hope for me? And I believe that God has a word just for you that God's word is going to be hopeful and helpful for you. That's my prayer, that I would be able to encourage you today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And the big idea is this, that because Jesus lives, we have a living hope. Here's who Peter is. Because some of you, you're new and you're, you're not yet familiar with the life of Jesus. When Jesus was walking on the planet, he had um, friends and he had followers. These are men that we call disciples. That as Jesus was here in his public life and ministry, he was preaching and teaching and healing and performing miracles. And he had disciples that, that did all of this ministry alongside of him. And one of the disciples was a man named Peter. And Peter was actually Jesus' right-hand man, that he was the first among equals when it comes to the disciples. And Peter, while writing this letter that bears his name, he would have seen um, the, the, the life of Jesus. He would have watched the death of Jesus. He would have experienced the resurrection of Jesus. He would have seen the ascension of Jesus. And after Jesus goes back to heaven, Peter becomes the leader of the disciples, and he becomes the pastor of the very first church. And he's writing this book to Christians who have lost their hope. And 
that's exactly where some of you are at today, that you have lost your hope, that you are looking for hope, and you're wondering, is there hope for me? And I have a great word for you. Because Jesus lives, we have a living hope. Here's what Peter says, starting in verse 3. He says, blessed be. Okay, now this is a very important word. That word blessed, right? That word blessed, it means praise. That word blessed, it means worship. That word blessed, it means favor and honor and glory. That word blessed, it means excited. That word blessed, it literally means happy because Easter is a time for great happiness, isn't it? It's a great time for celebration because we are blessed because God is blessed. He says, blessed be the God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Anytime there's an exclamation in the point in the Bible, you need to get excited. Okay, if I could yell right now, I totally would. Okay, excited. There's an exclamation point. There's energy. There's, there's emotion. There's this excitement. And Peter's saying, I have some great news. I have great news for you. I can barely contain it. Here's the great news, that God is a father. He's a father. Now, some of you, you didn't grow up with fathers. Some of you, you didn't have dads. And if you did have a dad, thinking about him didn't cause much reason for celebration or excitement. And so when you come to God, you, you project the, the father that you know into the father who loves you. And you wonder, what kind of father is God? Is God, a, is God a good dad? Is he a bad dad? Is he a caring dad? Is he a cruel dad? Is he a harmful dad? Or is he a helpful dad? What kind of father is he? Peter says, of great mercy. That our God is a father who has great mercy. See, mercy is when you deserve something bad, but you get something good. Right? Mercy is when you are hurt and you receive healing. See, mercy is whenever you are in desperation and you receive compassion. He says that our God is a God of great mercy because he is a father. What he is describing here is the nature and the character of God. That God as a father is one that you can run to, you don't need to run from. That God as a father is one that you can go to him and he will open his arms and he will love you. He will open his heart and he will welcome you. He will attune his ears towards you and he will listen to you. That he is always there. He always cares. And most importantly, we have a father who changes us. How does this work? Peter gives us three things. According to this mercy, he has caused us to be born again that your old life is gone and that the new one has come because Jesus died for our sins. We are born again. The second is that you have a living hope, not a helplessness, not a hopelessness, but you've been born again into a living hope. Okay, not a dead hope, not a, not a false hope, not a it's somewhere out there in the distance and maybe one day everything's going to be okay hope, but I'm never going to know it now. That's not true. If you've been born again, you have been born again into a living hope, that it's active, that it's useful, that it's practical, that it's helpful, and it's a hope for life. It's a hope for the right here and the right now because it's this living hope. He says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance. That's number three, that you have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. So where is this inheritance at? Peter says it's kept for you in heaven. Where is your hope? Where do you hang the hat of hope at? What are you looking for to give you hope in this life? Where do you find your hope? Is it in what you can buy? Is it in what people say? Is it you know, what other people do? Is it that one thing that if I could only have this one thing, then everything will be perfect, everything will be fine, and I will finally be the person that I always wanted to be. Where do you find your hope? Okay, is, it in, is it in money? Right? Do you look for your hope in money? How much money? 
just a little bit more, right? Because enough is never enough. They asked the wealthiest people in the world, how much money would it take for you to be happy? And they always said, just a little bit more. Because the more money you make, the more money you spend, and then you find yourself exactly in the same place because that's not a living hope. Maybe you are single and you're looking for a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or maybe to get married, and you think, if I could just get somebody to love me, then I will finally be who I wanted to be. And you're single, and your greatest hope is to find somebody to marry you. Or maybe you're married, and your greatest hope is that you could be single again, right? I know how some of you think. <laughs> and, so, and so you're like, if I have a boyfriend, then, then I'll finally be happy. If I have a girlfriend, then I'll finally be happy. And then, and then it moves to you, if they'll just propose to me, if I could get engaged, if I could get a fiance, and then I get married, and then if I get married, well, then, then we got to buy a house, and then we got to buy a car, and then the grandparents keep asking when we're going to have kids, and so I got to have some more kids, and the kids grow up, and the kids go to college, and now we're totally broke, and we're alone, and we have to start all over exactly where we were at the beginning, because that's not a true living hope. Or, or, maybe, or, or maybe it's your job. Like, if I could just get a new job, then I will finally have hope. You said that the last job. And so you find yourself in the exact same place that you're in. Maybe it's for those of you who are in high school and, and your hope is to go to college. And so you make good grades and you go off to college, you get accepted and you study and you're hard and you keep your GPA up. And as you're studying, your hope is to get a new job. So that way you can pay off all the college loans that you racked up. And then you use a degree that you have no guarantee that you're actually going to use. And you find yourself in the same place again, because those things are not living hopes. See, see, money, it comes and goes. Spouses, they disappoint. Houses, they depreciate. Right? Education, it evolves. Children, they disobey. They're not living hopes. They're not saving hopes. That they can't give you everything that they always promised that they would be able to give you. That you're going to need something different. You're going to need something better. You're going to need something bigger. You're going to need something stronger because your hope is too small. Luckily for us, Peter gives us the answer. The first thing that Peter says is this, that you have to be born again. This is a mind-bending statement if you actually come to understand it. What he's doing is he's quoting from the Lord Jesus. In John chapter 3, Jesus meets a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was raised probably a lot like many of you, that he had, um, he had religious parents, he grew up in the church, he knew a little bit about the Bible, but he didn't know who Jesus was. And he says that, and he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. And that's how some of you come to Jesus as well. That you're wondering, is there hope for me? Is there a possibility for life to be different? Because things haven't gone the way that you planned. Things haven't worked the way that you wanted to. Nothing's happened the way that you dreamed that it would be. And so you come to Jesus in the middle of the night and you ask Jesus questions. And you, you ask him the same question that Nicodemus said, how can I be born again? Or how can I be saved rather? That is the big question. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, and Peter tells you, that you have to be born again. See, what he's talking about is a new birth. See, when we're first born, we're born physically, but we're not yet born spiritually. The first birth is of the body. The second birth, well, that's a birth of the soul. And he's saying that you need, that you need to be born again. And here's the reason why. Because we're all born in sin. Okay? Sin is a three-letter word that causes all of the problems in the world. A lot of you, you don't really like to talk about sin, right? You like to ignore it. You like to accept it. Maybe you like to celebrate it, but you definitely don't really like to talk about sin. I know you didn't come to Easter Sunday. You're like, I hope I hear the sermon about sin, but sin is very important for you to understand because sin explains all of the problems in the world. Sin explains all of the pain that is in the world. All of that is the result of, 
of sin. It explains why the world is the way that it is, why there are wars and why there are disease and why there's racism and prejudice. It explains why, why, why nothing works the way that it is ought to work. That's a result of sin. Sin also explains why our relationships are the way that they are, why there's contentiousness and why there's strife and why there's jealousy and why there's bitterness and why there's unforgiveness. All of those things are results of sin. Sin explains why we're never truly, really, fully satisfied. It also explains why we are separated from God. See, that's what sin actually is. It's separation from God. The prophet Isaiah says, because of our sins, we are separated from God. That God is holy, God is just, God is pure, God is perfect. God is incapable and God is unable to sin. And so we can't enter into the presence of God in our sinful state because God himself is holy. Sin, it literally separates us from God. It's anything that God is not. Okay? It violates, it, it contradicts the word, the will, and the way of God. And sin, sin, sin has three parts. Our, our, our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. Okay, so our thoughts. You ever think something and you're like, okay, I didn't know people, I didn't know God, is that really sin just because I think it? Yeah, God knows your thoughts and he says that's sin. Right, your words, you ever say something, you're like, oops, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, we both agree because that's sin. Right, have you ever done something and immediately you regretted it and you knew down in your heart, that's not what I ought to do? That's because those things are sin. That's what we call sins of commission. It's the things that we do, but there's another category of sin. And that's our sins of omission. It's not what we do, but rather it's actually what we fail to do. Because some of you, you're like good lawyers and you have arguments in your mind about why you don't need this. And you think, well, I'm a good person. That I don't do these things. I'm a good person. I, I live a good life. I'm, I'm pretty moral. I do my good deeds. And isn't that good enough? Your sin is not sin of commission. Your sin is one of omission. That you're living your life independent, autonomous, and completely separated from God. It's not what you do, but rather it's what you fail to do, and it's actually who you are. So, got you. Sin is a very big deal, and sin infects and affects every aspect of our life. And here's the reason why because we are born in sin. The Bible says, from our mother's womb, we have been born in sin. See, the big myth today is this that we are good people who occasionally do bad things. The truth is we are bad people who occasionally do good things. And so don't get it twisted because sin is a big problem and we all experience it and we all suffer because of it. And it goes all the way back to our very first parents in the garden, Adam and Eve. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. He said, it is good. And he made mankind to be in relationship with him, completely connected, not yet separated. And there was, no, there was no disease because there was no need for it. Mean, there was no dis- doctors, rather, because there was no disease. And there was no funerals and there were no coffins because there was not yet death. There was no war and nations and empires and borders and presidents and politicians because sin had not yet ter- entered into the world. And so there was no need for those things because in that moment, everything was perfect. But our first parents, Adam and Eve, they sinned, they fell, they rebelled, and they separated ourselves from God. And every person ever since then has been diving headlong into fractured and fallen and foolishness. We are totally depraved, and the wages of sin is death. And because we are born physically and we are dead spiritually, we will suffer eternally. And God could have seen it fit to leave us in this condition. God could have said, you know what? That's your life. You made that choice, you made that decision that's on you. He could have said, you're damned, you're doomed, you're destined, and you're going to die completely separated from me. Have fun, live your life. But that's not what he did. 
That's not how he left us. That's not what he decided to do, actually, because God is a father, according to great mercy, he devised a plan before the foundations of the world that he was going to send his son Jesus to die for our sins and to reverse the curse of our sins and reconcile us back to the father. And so God sends his son Jesus who lived the perfect life. When he entered into human history, he preached, he taught, he loved everyone perfectly, equally, and he lived that perfect life, the life without sin, the life that you and I failed to live. And then he goes to the cross after being arrested, tried, persecuted, crucified, where he dies the death that we deserve, the penalty for our sins. But hear me on this, friend, because Jesus had no sin. Death could not contain him. And so three days later, Jesus did the unprecedented, the unthinkable, the unimaginable, the unexplainable, the unbelievable. Jesus resurrected from the grave. And because Jesus died for your sins, you can be born again. You can be born again. This is amazing, wonderful, great news that we can have a new life, that we can be born again and we can be forgiven of our sins. Some of you, we need to trust this. We need to hope in this. We need to remember this and we need to walk this out in our everyday life that we have been born again. So my question for you is, have you been born again? Have you experienced this new life that Jesus promises you? You say, well, how do I know if I've been born again? Well, you see a couple of things, but when you know, you know. And that you would turn from your sins and you would trust in Jesus that you would repent of your sins and you would become a Christian and you would become born again and that you would continue to hope and to follow after him. See, the last thing, redemption, you need is just another Easter Sunday sermon where you hear the story. Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and you leave and nothing ever happens. That's the last thing we need because a lot of people, they admire the life of Jesus. A lot of people come and they, they hear the life of Jesus and think he was a good guy. He, he said some good things. He's a good moral teacher. He was a good good guide for our lives and I really like the part where he's on the mountain talking about birds. And I like the part where he welcomes all the children and hangs out with the prostitutes and the sinners and the tax collectors. It really is a pity that his life ended the way that it did. See, a lot of people, they admire the life of Jesus. But Christianity is not meant to be admired. It's meant to be experienced. That we have experienced this new life, this new birth that is promised and guaranteed to us through Jesus. The Christian life is not meant to be admired, but it's one to be experienced. And only people who have been born again can experience the new life that Jesus promises. We've been born again. Well, how do we know that we have been born again? Well, Peter tells us that you have something called a living hope. Okay, not a dead hope, not a false hope. Not a, it's out there somewhere in the distance. Maybe one day everything's going to be okay, hope. But you have a living hope that it's real, it's useful, that it's practical. And let me tell you this, friends, hope changes everything. Because when you have hope, you know that things don't have to be the way that they are. That I don't have to be the way that I am. That it is possible to keep moving, to keep believing, to keep persevering. It is possible to keep hope alive because Jesus lives. We have a living hope. He tells you, you need a living hope. And there's five things that a living hope produces in the life of a Christian. Okay, let me say this. For some of you, this happens very quickly. For others of you, this happens over a period and a process over a long period of time. But nevertheless, these are guarantees. These are things that happen when you've been born again to this living hope. The first thing he says is this, that you get a new Lord, those temporal things the things that used to drive you, the things that used to haunt you, the things that used to keep yourself awake at night, what used, to, what used to be your motivation. 
those things no longer have rule over you. They don't master you. They don't own you because now you have this, this new Lord that the idols of your heart have been dethroned and that Jesus takes his rightful place as Lord. So your life is no longer just more money, more privilege, more possessions, more power, more attention, but now your life becomes more of him. That, that it's not for your name, it's for his name. That it's not for your fame, it's for his fame. That it's not for your glory, but it's all about his glory because you have this new Lord. Well, the second thing he says is that you become a new person. See, hope truly allows you to be you. There's this, you know, people say all the time, well, I just need to be me. I just need to be the real me. You just need to do you, right? Just be yourself. The truth is the true self only comes from Jesus, Hope allows you to be a new person. The Bible talks about when people become Christians, they become new creations in Christ Jesus. That you get a new mind. The way you think, it it, it begins to change. That you get a new heart. The way that you love others, it it, it begins to change. You get this new desires that you want to read your Bible, you want to pray, you want to get in community around other people, and that your desires, they begin to change because you've been made into a new person because you have this new hope. Well, the third is that begins to change your identity, that, that your identity, it, it comes from your hope. The way you see yourself, it changes. The way that you see the world, it changes because you now know who you truly are. And when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. So your identity doesn't come from what other people say. Your identity doesn't come from what you know, other people do. It doesn't come from what other people have done to you or try to fit in or try to be accepted or try to be presentable towards others so that they would love you. Your identity now comes from him. You say, oh, he loves me. Okay. Oh, he saves me. Oh, he forgives me. Oh, he created me. Oh, wow. No, he, he's there for me. That he's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. And now you have this new identity. Well, fourthly, that you get a new power. Okay, let me, let me say this, because this is where people normally get off the rails and they end up writing books that get sold in Sam's Club with big smiles on their face because it's about self-help. They say, oh, well, this new power, this is a self-help, that it's self-actualization, it's self-determination, that it's self-motivation, and we think in terms of self-help, like, I can do this. Okay, friends, this is not self-help, this is God's help. That it doesn't come from you, it's not innate within you, but it's a new power that God has given to you. Because listen to me, friends, sin is very powerful. Some of you, you feel helpless and you feel hopeless and you feel so bound to your sin that you've tried and you failed and you tried and you failed and nothing you could ever do could ever set you free from the sin that has beset you. And I want you to know in part that is true, that there is nothing that you could ever do. There is no power in which you possess. That's why God gives you a new power called the Holy Spirit. That when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit, he indwells inside of you. See, the amazing news is that not only did did God send his son Jesus to die for our sins, but he also sends us the Holy Spirit so that way we can overcome our sins. That we don't have to live the life that we used to live. We can live a new life because we've been born again into this living hope. You ever wonder, how did Jesus live his life? How did Jesus do it? How did Jesus overcome sin? How did he love everyone? How did he serve everyone? How did Jesus live the life that he did? 
the Bible tells us he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that empowered Jesus to live his life is the same spirit that now empowers you to live your life. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is the same spirit that lives inside of you. Because of Jesus, you have a new Lord, a new person, a new identity, and by God's grace, you receive this new power. And number five, you get a new community. Peter here says that God is a father. I need you to know that. I need you to hold on to that. I need you to believe that. That God is a father who loves you, who cares for you. And he adopts us into this family. And that Jesus is our prototypical big brother who who goes before us and he makes a way available for us and invites us into this family. And God is a father who adopts us. And as we've been adopted into this new family, the church, it becomes our new community that you and I, we become brothers and sisters, that that we are sons and daughters, and God has brought us together so that we can love one another, so that way we can help one another, so that way we can equip and to encourage one another. See, hope surrounds itself with people who believe the best, who see the best, and are willing to speak the truth in love because we've received this living hope. This really is wonderful, isn't it? How many of you are new Christians, and, and you're coming into faith, and you're beginning to see all these things happen? that you're seeing them take place in your life over a period of time. It really is wonderful. And some of you have been Christians for a very long time. And so we need you to step in and to to lead some of these new Christians so they can continue to grow in this living hope that they have begun to experience. This is amazing. This is wonderful. And this is the hope that is available for you. But I want you to know that that's just the beginning, that there's actually more. Here's what he says, that you also have an inheritance. That's number three. See, when someone dies, right, they leave you all of their possessions. When someone that you love, when someone that you love, when when they pass away, all of their possessions, all of their belongings, all of their value and all of their worth, well, it's handed down to you. Okay, God is our father. Jesus is our brother. And through Jesus's death, that you have been given this wonderful inheritance and everything that belonged to Christ in heaven has now been given, has now been afforded to you according to the resurrection of Jesus. See, some people, they they focus on the circumstance and they miss out on their inheritance. Some of us, we get so caught up in this life that we forget that there's a life to come. Some of us, we get so consumed with what's happening today that we miss out on what's happening tomorrow. Don't get so caught up on your circumstance. Instead, you need to fix your eyes on your inheritance because this is just the beginning. God always has so much more possible awaiting for you. You have an inheritance. What are you looking for in your hope? What are you looking to to be able to satisfy you? Are you looking in marriage? Are you looking in your GPA? Are you looking in your house? Are you looking for your children? Are you looking at your job? All of those things are good things. Okay, but whenever good things take the place of God, they become bad things because those are not true hopes. Those are not living hopes. They're false hopes. They're dead hopes. God has something more for you. Don't get so hung up on the circumstance that you miss out on the inheritance that is waiting. It's kept for you in heaven for those who have been born again to this living hope. And I love that Peter says this. The first thing he says is that it is imperishable. Okay, that means it will never leave. That your hope, it will never leave. It will never lose its value. It will never lose its worth. It will never rust. It will never corrode. It will never decay. It will never go away. That it is imperishable. That it's always right there waiting for you. And when you need it the most, it's right there for you. 
that it is imperishable. The second thing he says is that it is unfading. What he's talking about here is your life in heaven. This is your existence in heaven. He says, our hope, it is unfading. I want you to, I want you to hear, undefiled rather, I want you to hear this. It's undefiled. Some of you, you have suffered in your life. I want you to know undefiled. Some of you, you are sick. I want you to know undefiled. Some of you, you are sad, you are grieving, you mourn and you weep in this life. I want you to know on the other side, every tear will be wiped away. Death will be undone. Every sin will be forgiven. You will be undefiled. And that right now when God sees you, he sees you just as that, undefiled. I want you to hold on to that. I want you to know that, that God sees you and God speaks over you, undefiled. And when you get to heaven, every sickness will be healed. Every grief will be comforted. And we will be perfectly in God's presence the way that we were always meant to be. Totally and utterly transformed, God says, undefiled. And then lastly, that it's unfading. Unlike so many things that we hope for, right? It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. But the hope that we have in Christ Jesus is both for today and it's also for tomorrow. That it's never going to leave, never going to forsake. That it's always going to be right there. And when time seems the darkest, that's where hope shines the brightest. Because it is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Some of you, you need to be born again. Some of you, you are not connected to the life of Jesus. You are not loving. You are not serving. You are not following. You are not trusting. You are not hoping in the life of Jesus. And you need to be born again because of your sin. But because Jesus lives... Because Jesus rose, because he gave his life for you, you can be born again into this new life. Some of you, you need a living hope that you're trusting in things that cannot save. You are hoping in things that cannot provide for you. They will never satisfy you. And in your life, you are perennially frustrated and disappointed because you're looking for life and hope and things that cannot provide that. You need a living hope. And we need to remember that we have an inheritance. See, whatever you are believing in, I can assure you this, it is not imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That whatever you are looking to, I can assure you, it is not imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Whatever you're looking to, to give you worth, to give you value, to give you identity, I can assure you this, that it is not imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Whatever you are studying, whatever you are watching, whomever you are reading, whomever you are believing, Whatever it is, it is not imperishable, undefiled, and unfading because kings and kingdoms, they will live and die. That famous figures and religious leaders, they will live and die. That health and wealth and prosperity, it will live and it will die. That nations and empires will live and they will die. But the man, Jesus Christ, he died so that we might live. Because Jesus lives, we have this living hope. Do you know him? Do you trust him? Do you believe in him? I would beg of you, I would plead you, today to give your life to Jesus. Don't live one single moment apart from the hope that he has assured you, apart from the hope that he has guaranteed for you, apart from what he has done in his life. Become a Christian today. He will not fail you. He doesn't know how. He will not disappoint you. That word is not in his vocabulary. He will be your new Lord. He will make you a new person. He will give you a new identity. He will grant to you a new power and the church will be your new community. He gave his life for you. He rose from the grave for you. Because Jesus lives, you can have this living hope both now and forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com 
or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.